Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Memel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day number 475 of our three-year journey through God's Word, and we come today to Acts chapter 12. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love, for your faithfulness, for your word, for this time that we can be in your word. Guide us by your spirit. Help us to honor you. Help us to respond to your word with faith and obedience. Help us to see Jesus clearly and to follow after him faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Herod was kept in prison, his earnest prayer, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in his cell He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, They came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. 
On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man! Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Acts chapter 12. This is uh, the reign of Herod Antipas, who is the grandson of Herod the Great and the son of Herod the Tetrarch, who's the Herod that's involved in the crucifixion of Jesus together with Pontius Pilate. Um, and this can be a little bit confusing to us because in the Bible, they're all just referred to as Herod. So that Herod, when Jesus was born, and then there's a Herod when Jesus is crucified, and he has different jurisdiction than Pontius Pilate. And then here's another Herod in the book of Acts. And I think like most people, when I was younger, I just thought it was all talking about the same person. But it's actually three generations of rulers from the same family. Herod Antipas, the Herod here in this passage, was actually a far more successful ruler than his father, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee. Herod the Great, the grandfather of Herod Antipas, he was, he's known as Herod the Great for a reason. He was a great and influential ruler who ruled for a long time, and he, he built many wonderful things, including the, the Temple Mound and many fortresses and many uh, stadiums and things like that all around. But this green territory on this map, this shows you the kingdom of Herod Antipas after 41 AD. So Jesus was killed about 30 AD. That was under Herod the Tetrarch, and Herod the Tetrarch was really just ruling over Galilee. Uh, Herod the Great's kingdom was, was divided into four pieces, and then the Judea portion of that was actually put under direct Roman governorship from Pontius Pilate. So you had uh, Galilee and, and Samaria and Perea and Idumea who were under four different kings. And so that, that's why he's called the Tetrarch, because he's king of one-fourth. Well, his son, Herod Antipas, was close friends with the emperor Claudius, and he's able to put everything back together that his father had or his grandfather had and then added to it Trachonitis and Abilene. So he actually had the largest kingdom of any of the Herods. And so he's a really powerful dude, which kind of explains when the people of Tyre and Sidon who are outside of his immediate dominion, you can see them along the coast, right next to the words Mediterranean Sea there along the coast, it says Tyre and Sidon, uh, why they come to him because they're, they are not under his direct jurisdiction, but they really depend upon him because they get their food from him. You see that Trachonitis area and that Abilene area and even Galilee. That's where all the food would come from in terms of grain. Trachonitis would have uh, rich uh, grain fields. Galilee was a rich fishery uh, in the Sea of Galilee. And so they would have gotten a lot of their food from these other areas. Uh, Tyre and Sidon were really coastal cities that engaged in a lot of trading but not necessarily uh, in, in a lot of food production. So anyway, that kind of explains the situation of how powerful Herod was uh, for the end of the chapter when the uh, people of Tyre and Sidon acclaim him as the voice of a god and not of a man. Anyway, back to our text. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter here. 
and Herod is a king. He's a ruler, but like all politicians, he got there by knowing how to please the right people, and he knows that to stay in power, he better keep the Jewish people happy. And so one of the things that makes the Jewish people happy is that he has James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. This is James, the son of Zebedee. This is one of the three closest followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry when, when Peter, James, and John were sort of set aside from among the twelve and given even closer access to Jesus. So he's a really important deal. He's a different James than will come to be prominent within the Jerusalem church later in Acts 15, and who will write the book of James, that James is the half-brother of Jesus. But this is James, the son of Zebedee, uh, uh, brother of John. They're fishermen along with Peter and Andrew, and uh, they're from the Galilee area. And he's, he's, he's the first of the apostles to be martyred. Stephen is the first Christian to be martyred in Acts 7, but James is the first of the apostles to be martyred here in Acts 12. And it looks like Peter's going to be next, because... James is killed with the sword, and then Herod says, hey, that made them happy. Let's arrest Peter. And so it's very interesting. We have a Herod who has arrested Peter and put him in prison right around Passover. When Jesus was crucified, he was brought before Herod Antipas's father, Herod the Tetrarch, in Jerusalem during the days of Passover. And that's when he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. But Herod was involved at least in sort of... Um, participating in the process, although he wasn't directly responsible for Jesus's crucifixion. But it's still interesting to have a Herod and Passover, and here's Peter, uh, and this is probably about 12 years or so after uh, the death of Jesus. But this time Herod gets, gets Peter imprisoned, and God miraculously delivers him. I mean, Herod must have been really concerned that there was going to be some plot to try to deliver him from prison, and then maybe spread a rumor that he had escaped or something like that, because he certainly has him kept under very, very close guard. He's, he's got four uh, squads of soldiers who are put in charge of watching him. Four squads of soldiers to guard one man. And then that night, we see that he's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. So he's chained with one soldier on his left, and one soldier on his right, and then outside of the door, there are sentries, more soldiers, who are standing guard. But none of that matters, because God is almighty, and God can deliver however he chooses to deliver. He could have just sort of, you know, poofed Peter out of there, but instead he sends an angel of the Lord to take him by the hand, and these guys obviously don't see him, don't see him leaving, because they're standing guard, and they know that their lives are literally on the line if he gets away, but he's he's brought out by an angel of the Lord, and he is miraculously delivered. So miraculous is his deliverance. This is one of the funniest episodes in the book of Acts. He shows up at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Now, this is the John Mark who writes the Gospel of Mark, and this is her mother's house, his mother's house, Mary. And so they, he shows up there, and there's a servant girl, Rhoda, she hears knocking at the gate. She goes out. She sees Peter. Oh, it's Peter. She runs back inside to tell everybody without even letting Peter in. Like, it's so unexpected. She doesn't even think, oh, I should let Peter in and bring Peter in with me. Like, that's normally what the servants would do. But instead, she runs back in and says, it's Peter out there. And they don't believe her. They're like, you're out of your mind. It's an interesting uh, perspective on the character of the apostles that they often don't believe the reports of women about supernatural events that God has orchestrated. 
uh, because these same men, uh, many of them, well, Peter would have been one of them who didn't believe uh, different women who came with a report of the empty tomb and the angel on that first resurrection day. But they don't believe it, but eventually they go out there and they get Peter and they bring him in. And <laughs> understatement of the century in verse 18, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened, what had become of Peter. Um, these soldiers are afraid for their lives and for good reason. Um, Herod orders that they be put to death for letting Peter escape. And so that is standard, standard practice for Roman soldiers. That's what should have happened to the soldiers who guarded the tomb where Jesus was buried, except they were paid off to tell the story that the disciples came at night and stole the body while they were sleeping. If they had actually been sleeping and they had actually let the disciples come and steal the body, they would have been put to death. Also, the officials would have arrested the apostles, demanded that they produce the body, put the body on display for everyone, and then had the apostles put to death. But we know that the disciples didn't steal the body because if they had, the soldiers would have been put to death, the body would have been produced, the apostles would have been put to death. But none of that happens. So that's how one of the ways we know the resurrection was real. This is another proof that the deliverance of Peter was real, is that, you know, these soldiers, they, they didn't want to help him get out. They knew it was going to cost them their lives, and it did. And then Herod goes back to Caesarea. He's there, and he's got some sort of dispute with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they come because they need him. He's so powerful. He controls so much of the surrounding land. They can't get along without him being, you know, in, in good favor with him. And so that's how he dies, because he refuses to glorify God. He's, he's an egomaniacal, selfish man, and he steals glory from God, and God takes his life. And the last thing we're told is that through all of this chaos and turmoil, the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they bring John Mark, and they're getting ready to, they're going to be sent out here on the first missionary journey. Uh, that God uh, has commissions them to go out from the church in Antioch. But when it says returned from Jerusalem, it means they went back to Antioch. And that's what we'll pick up with next time we're in the book of Acts in like three more days. But what do we get from this chapter? What do we see? How does this apply to our lives? Well, we should be not afraid of any earthly power when it comes to trying to quiet a Christian witness or trying to silence the proclamation of the gospel because... God is able to protect and to deliver his own if he chooses not to. Like with James, James wasn't like more sinful and Peter more righteous. And that's why James was put to death with the sword. But Peter was delivered. Either way, the Lord is in control. The Lord knows what he's doing. James got to be the first apostle to enter into glory and to be in the presence of the Lord. Peter got to be delivered and continue to be used by the Lord for a couple of decades to come. But whatever God decides is what's going to happen, not what the world decides. Herod wanted the same outcome for both James and Peter. He didn't get it because he's not in control. That should give us great confidence and comfort. God is in control of our lives. We can trust him. We should be bold in standing up and giving witness to our Christian faith. Sometimes I think we're more 
eager to give witness for our favorite sports team or give witness for a political position or give witness for some social or cultural issue. What we ought to be focused is on Jesus and the gospel and clearly bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. And as we are faithful, even though persecution may come, we can know that by the grace of God, the word of God will increase and multiply. And that's what we should be praying for. And that's what we should be laboring for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your promise that you will accomplish your purpose for your people in this world. There's nothing that can thwart your sovereignty. You are in control. We thank you and praise you. Help us to trust in your sovereignty. Help us to boldly follow you. Help us to courageously and lovingly bear witness to the truth. Come what may. And may your church be blessed and may the word of God increase and multiply through the faithful witness of your church to a culture that doesn't want Jesus, but desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. And I pray this in Jesus.